Castilla this morning. My name is Jerry, uh, one of the pastors here. You met David earlier. Matt just read. Matt's one of our elders. Um, appreciate these guys and their leadership here. This morning, I want you to keep your Bibles open there to Acts 15. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12 as Matt read for us this morning. And uh, as we do venture through this text today, uh, I want us to think about the day we live in. Uh, no doubt we live in a day where if one believes something to be true, then it's true, right? And that's what many think. That's what many believe, that what's true for you, okay, it, it may not be true for me, but it's true for you. It's called relativism, and, and we live in the flow, the river of that in our culture today, where what is true is up to you about anything or everything. And so what that simply means is at the end of the day, we're God. I mean, that's if you want to be real simple about it, that's what many in our culture and day are saying. We can define gender, we can define sexuality, we can define morality. That is what is communicated in our world today. And so the upholding of absolute truth, the upholding of one true God, and that he is truth, and he is the one who defines truth, is made a mockery of. We live in a pluralistic day where all religion and beliefs are accepted as truth. And so there is no greater hour than the hour that you and I live in to know what the truth is and to be those who herald the loving truth of God to the world as grace-filled Christ followers. You see, this morning I want you to know it is about converting to Jesus Christ. That's where our hope is found. It's about discovering who Jesus really is, even as we discover who we truly are, yes. But it's about knowing him and deciding to stop living in destructive ways and unfulfilling ways and instead turn around and start following Jesus as we pursue truly true wholeness. Conversion is the word we use. It's the word we use to describe the experience of turning around and following Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But in our world today, there's many opposing views to such thinking, to the thinking of the gospel and the truth of the gospel that we will speak about today. Our world does not line up with that. And it didn't line up that way in Paul and Barnabas and Peter's day as we look at Acts and we look at the early church. And you see, pluralistic thinking was all around. The idea of grace saving you through faith alone and Jesus alone, was not the mainline thinking of the day. But Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, a rushing wind, a violent noise that came from heaven on the day of Pentecost, began a movement in a flow of history that we see even here in Acts 15 that eventually went from Jews and eventually to Gentiles, where pagans who thought, there's no way I could know God, People on the street who were broken, poor, without a home. Those who had no religion background, they thought, there's no way I could know God because so many had told them that. Hope had now come. Hope had spread throughout the region. And we've seen over the last few weeks, Paul and Barnabas have gone out telling people with every nook and cranny, you can know the hope of knowing God and have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. The cross and what was bought on the cross 
was bought for you. And you can know Jesus. And they went from town to town telling people. The church that sent them out brought them back. And we saw last week at the end of chapter 14, they're back in Antioch within Syria. And there they're sharing about what God did through them. But what I want us to see today in Acts 15 is opposition's going to come. Opposition to the truth of the gospel is going to rise up even in Antioch. And so here's the question I want to ask today. What about you and I? Are we willing to yield or are we unwilling to yield to the opposing views of the day? Are we willing to take a stand like Paul and Barnabas who are going to be unwilling to yield to the pressure of false teaching and false beliefs in their day? At the same time, what do we believe? What do we believe personally about the gospel and about salvation? Paul and Barnabas are going to face a disagreement today, but they will stand in the face of it. And so the first thing I want you to see today is there is disagreement, right? But then there's a decisive decision that's going to be made. And so what's going to happen today is there's going to be a line drawn in the sand, and the question is, what side of the line do we stand in? Because both sides have different ways of thinking. And one is true, and one represents the way of our world and all the religions in the world that oppose grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So today, where do we stand? And what are we willing to stand on in the face of opposition? And so look at the text today, look at verse one, and we'll see the disagreement right here. Some men come down to Antioch in Syria from Judea and begin teaching the brethren, the church. And here's what they're teaching. So why is this significant that these men come to this place? Antioch in Syria is the head of the Gentile movement, of those coming to Jesus Christ through grace alone, by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, Antioch is the head of that movement. Why is that? They sent out Paul and Barnabas. They sent them out on this first missionary journey, and from there, the message went uh, to Gentile neighborhoods, Gentile homes, individuals, you name it. And so you have this movement that began in Antioch and will continue to be the place of leadership of the gospel being spread out. And so these men come down to Antioch, and here's what they say. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Why do they say this? Why do they come and say, hey, this added qualification must be added to the grace of God to receive salvation? You must do this. It's an additive, right? It's an add-on. In fact, if you read the book of Galatians, which um, the context of our text today deals with this idea is that there's a group of Jews who were professing believers, but they were coming in and saying that to truly receive the grace of God, you had to be circumcised or you had to obey the law of Moses, and so what I would call Judaizers, they're add-ons. They, they added things on to the grace of God, saying if you want to receive the grace of God, you've got to do this, 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 and this. It's called legalism, right? And it's in our day, no doubt. But here in this day, why is this happening? Uh, the Jews didn't like the movement because here they saw these Gentiles who were once pagans, 
These Gentiles who have no religious background, these Gentiles who never went through uh, learning the law, never went through a bar mitzvah, never went through all these little things, and now these Jews are like, hold on a second, time out. These guys can just come into Christianity they go from idolatry to this pagan way of living and they can just enter right in and, and they have a complete issue with that. And they had a problem with Gentiles. They wouldn't eat with them. Even Gentiles that would convert to Judaism, Gentiles had their own synagogue. Jews had their own synagogue. And so the idea that now Gentiles could come and be a part of our church and be inclusive with us, worship with us, and they don't have to be circumcised, they don't have to obey the law of Moses, they don't have to do anything like that. What is up with that? And so that's why they come to Antioch, is they want to put a stop to this movement, kind of this wholesale movement of anyone can come to the gospel. They did not agree with that. Now they were okay with the likes of an Ethiopian eunuch coming, they were okay with the likes of Cornelius and his household coming, but if you start going out to the highways and byways and start saying, come on, Come on, these Jewish professing believers were not down with that whatsoever. So they want to stop the movement. And they want to stop the movement by adding this qualification. No doubt these Jews felt some nationalistic pressure, probably from Rome. They had to tread carefully so they would not be seen as disloyal to their Jewish heritage, even though they were professing belief in Christ. So sometimes that's what happens to us even, right? We feel pressure. We feel pressure from people. Maybe we feel pressure from our culture. And so the question was no longer about whether Gentiles could really be saved, but the question was, how would God save them? And isn't that the question of our age? The question is, how can one truly be saved? How can one have eternal life? How can one be made right with God and live with him in heaven one day? What's the answer? I'll give you the simple answer this morning in two verses. All right, then we'll go back to the text. But Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, gives us that simple answer and spells it out beautifully. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So, so this grace is free grace. It's unhindered. It's undeserving. You can't do anything to receive this grace. And what is grace? It is God's kindness. It is his love. It is his mercy. We don't deserve it. But it's unhindered. It's free. It's free. And so Paul says, for by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Paul is saying you cannot earn it. You can't do enough good works to receive this grace. It is grace, simply put. And we believe that. We believe that one is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. This was the belief of Paul and Barnabas, the apostles in the church here in Acts. But these so-called Jews who were professing belief in Christ were teaching that the door was opened by grace, but, there was a big one, but the screen door was Judaism, was legalism. 
They believed Judaism was the way to get to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So you had to be circumcised. You had to obey the law of Moses to receive God's favor, to receive God's salvation. They thought that, that Christianity was kind of a logical end to Judaism. They didn't see Christianity as a distinctive. They saw Christianity as a, as a party or even a sect of Judaism. But that's not what Christianity is. Christianity stands alone. And then on the other side are the religions of the world that teach very similar to what these men who came to Antioch were teaching, that you must do something. You must earn God's favor. But that's not the way with Christianity. Some will say this today, you were saved by grace, but, right? But you've got to do these good works. Many get confused today, and I'm just going to call out some, some, some thoughts and philosophies in our world today so there's clarity on this, right? I hear this today, even, even from students, past, but also even in today's world, will happen a lot of times, and even we see this online because sometimes different groups will look like, oh, well, they're, they're believing. They believe the same thing I do. They, they're, they're using the right verses, saved by grace through faith alone. Um, they're... they're, they're they seem to be along the same lines as we are. But here's the deal, like groups like this, the, the Mormonism, all right? Mormonism is not a denomination of Christianity. Mormonism is a cult. Mormonism is, is, a, is another world religion. Mormonism is evil, right? We can call it that, all right? Mormonism is wrong, <laughs> It is not part of Christianity. It's not a sect of Christianity. It's not a party of Christianity. The belief of Mormonism is this, that you've got to do good works. And there's other things that go along with it, but the, the mainline thinking is you've got to be a good person to get into heaven. And so the question to that, it's not just Mormonism, it's other lines of thinking as well, is the question is, well, okay, well, what is good enough? When have you done enough good works? How do you know? The Bible doesn't teach that. But I just want to make sure you understand in our society, in our world, because sometimes the lines get blurry and, and things get kind of gray, right? And, and they'll use scripture. That's what false teachers love to do. They'll use scripture, but they use it wrongly. And that's just one example. So people will teach it's by good works. Some will say this, that you say by grace, but you've got to be baptized, I'm all, I'm all for baptism. And I think in our world today, we've got to magnify the meaning of baptism. I, I think it's awesome. But the Bible never teaches that you have to be saved plus be baptized to enter the kingdom of heaven. Never says that. Yet there are lines of thinking in our world today. For example, there are branches of the church of Christ who believe that, who will teach that. And so the question is, if you're adding to the cross, what are you doing? You're nullifying grace because then it becomes something you do and that's not true. There's lines of thinking along that lines. You gotta be baptized. The other is you must keep the 10 commandments. We hear that. You must belong to a particular church. No, we don't see that in scripture. Some believe that grace comes through sacraments. Some believe it's confessing to a priest and doing Hail Marys as you hold the rosary beats. The mainline thinking of Catholicism is not Christianity. Christianity is not a branch of Catholicism. And likewise, Catholicism is not a denomination of Christianity. 
The mainline thinking of Catholicism is you do good works. You do good works. Some will say in, in the Catholic line of thinking that, yeah, I believe in the grace of God. I believe what Jesus did to die for me. But what always comes up is I'm trying to live a good life, right? Or I'm praying to the saints. And all that stuff has no biblical grounding. And so we've got to be wise. We've got to be careful. And so here's what it looks like, a little bit like this. There are many masterpieces throughout the world, many of them. And what will happen is when we see them sometimes, maybe we see things that we don't necessarily like about them. And we think, oh man, I don't know. This might be a masterpiece, but I don't know. Maybe I need to do some touch-up, right? Maybe I need to add something. And so I've got a super pen right here, multicolored, by the way. And tell me who painted this one real quick. All right. Da Vinci, right? I don't know. I, I noticed online some people are already trying to do this, but they touch up Mona Lisa, right? And I don't really like Mona Lisa's lips, so I'm going to help her out a little bit, all right? Her nose a little bit. So I'm trying to add on or complete this masterpiece. Or maybe it's this one. I think Van Gogh did this one, right? Is that right? Yes. So you got this starry night. That swirl right there is a little, it's, it's too small. I'm going to add to the swirl right there. Can we do that? Or, or I'm going to add some color over here. And so, so you take this masterpiece. Would you ever do that? Would you ever do that? Would you ever add to a masterpiece? Probably not. But what about this? Here we have Christ, Rembrandt. And this line of thinking in Acts 15, in, in verse 1, where it says, you must be circumcised. In verse 5, you must obey the law of Moses. What are we doing when we do that? What are we doing when we say you must be baptized? What are we saying when you've got to live by good works? We're tacking things on to the cross, to the death of Jesus Christ, and we're saying it's not complete. It's lacking. And so we must do this. We must add this. And that's what we do. It's like taking a masterpiece and adding to it and saying it's not complete. And we do that with such thinking when we talk about adding things to the gospel. So what about us? What are we adding? In our line of thinking, in our way of thinking, are we adding things to the gospel of grace? I don't think I could do that any more graceful. Sorry about that. But we add things on. We do that many times. And so we can't. We can't. So Paul and Barnabas, they're unwilling. They're unwilling to yield on this issue. And they're holding up the good fight. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1.18, if you'll jot this verse down and maybe go to it later, Paul tells Timothy this, to fight the good fight. What's the good fight? It's standing up for the truth of the gospel that says the, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. That's the good fight that Paul and Barnabas are doing. And so listen to what happens in verse two through five because they're gonna show us their unwillingness to move. It says, when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders concerning the issue. And so the church in Antioch decided, go down to Jerusalem and, and let's deal with this disagreement there. 
And therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through Phoenicia, Samaria, and describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. Here you got Paul and Barnabas. They're going to Jerusalem. On their way there, they're passing even through the land of Samaria. Significant about Samaria is Jesus will tell a parable about the good Samaritan. And what was significant about the Samaritans is, is they were known often of kind of this mixed race. Um, and, and they were looked down upon greatly by the Jews. They were seen as dogs. And so the Jews didn't like Gentiles, but they especially did not like Samaritans. But yet Paul and Barnabas, as they're going through these towns, they're speaking of the conversion of the Gentiles. And as a result, great joy was coming to the brethren. Why do you think Luke puts this in there? Luke puts this in there because he wants us to see that salvation was coming to Gentiles not based on what they were doing, not based on obeying the law, not based on being circumcised, but by the grace of God alone. Nothing was added. No other qualifications. Grace alone. And so in verse 4, when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church, the apostles and the elders. They reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise those and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. And so here they come from this disagreement now to this discussion. Some believe it was a public discussion there in Jerusalem. And they're with this council of apostles and church leaders. And in that room were even some Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees? They're this fundamentalistic Jews. They were the legalists. Paul was once a Pharisee. And here, a Pharisee stands up. And he says, listen, you, you must be circumcised. You must obey the law of Moses. Basically saying, you've got to enter in through Judaism to get to Christianity. And so the disagreement is even there in Jerusalem. But look what happens in verse 6. A decisive decision is going to come. It says, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter, right? Anyone been wondering, where's Peter been, right? Here he is. Peter stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. What we have in verse 7 all the way through verse 3 is what you would call the Magna Carta of the Christian church. It's what the Christian church believes to be true about salvation. And so Peter stands, and I want you to look at verse 7 again. He says, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth. So Peter is saying by his own mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and they would believe. They would believe. What is Peter referring to? Back in Acts chapter 10, you remember God met up with Peter in a vision and he gave Peter this, this picture. And in this picture, what Peter was being told by God was this, is that the gospel is even for Gentiles. And Peter was thinking, man, I don't even eat with these people. I'm not even supposed to hang out with these people. I'm not supposed to go in their home. I'm not supposed to have them in my home. I'm not to eat meals with them. And, but yet God is saying, you must go to them. Allow them to come into your home. You go into them home, their home. You eat with them. 
And as we're going to see next week, Peter still has an issue with some of this stuff. But yet, what happens? In the home of a man by the name of Cornelius, Cornelius and his whole household come to faith. They come to faith. And so we learn right here that salvation by grace is proven based on what Peter says right here by past revelation. That we see in Acts chapter 10 verse 44, it says, while Peter was still speaking the words of the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. Peter didn't say you gotta be circumcised. Peter didn't say you gotta go do these, do work, these good works and live by the Mosaic law. All Peter preached was Jesus and that Jesus comes to save based on the grace of God and all you must do is believe. And what happened is the Holy Spirit came and indwelled and filled Cornelius and his household. And so Peter says, based on that experience, that past revelation, I want you to know, church council, that salvation is by grace alone and by no other means. And then look at verse eight. As Peter continues with this Magna Carta, he says, and God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, talking again about Cornelius and his household, just as he also did to us. And so what happens when one is saved by grace? By the grace of God through faith alone in Jesus Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. It's proof of salvation. And it comes through no other means. I want you to hear a few passages to go with this this morning. In Romans chapter eight, listen to what Paul says. Verse nine, he says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Jesus. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is made alive because of righteousness. And how are we made righteous? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. We are made right by God alone. And he put our sin on his son Christ. Christ paid for our sin. He became the substitutionary atonement to, to cleanse us, to forgive us, so that we could stand right before a holy God and have a relationship with him. And our souls are made alive when that happens. We're made alive. Our dead souls go to having life, a new creation in Christ. And to look at Romans chapter eight, verse 14, he says, for all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption. Meaning this, you were once not part of the family of God, but now you've been adopted into the family of God and you have received the Holy Spirit where you can now cry out to God and say, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And so salvation by grace is proven by the gift of the Holy Spirit, Peter says. And then I want you to look at one other part. Look at Galatians chapter 3, also on the screen. I want you to hear these verses because this was huge. It's huge today. Look at verse 13. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so, what was Paul saying? The promise that was made to Abraham. It came to the Gentiles through what? Through the cross of Jesus Christ. Not through circumcision. Not through obeying the Mosaic law. Not through doing works. Not through being baptized or any other additive you want to add to it. But accept the cross and that alone. And then in Galatians 4, 6, Paul says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we could cry out to God. Abba Daddy, Abba Father. He's our daddy. That intimate relationship that we get to have. And so salvation by grace is proven by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And one's life has changed so much so that Paul says, now that we have this spirit of God in us, we now have this fruit, the fruit of the spirit, where love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and all these things and self-control, all these things now are coming out of our life where we didn't have it before because we're changed by the grace of God. And then look at verse nine. Peter continues and he says, he made no distinction between us and them. Peter says, us. Peter's a Jew. He said, he didn't make a diff- distinction between Jews and them, Gentiles, cleansing their hearts by faith. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, I want you to hear what Paul said. He said this to the church He says, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? Not what we have done, but according to the riches of his grace. Wow. Pastor John MacArthur shares a story about a day when a jazz pianist came to a gathering like this. And he came on that night where John was speaking. And MacArthur was speaking on the grace of God. And this man came up to Pastor MacArthur afterwards and he was a mess. Wanted to end his life. He was distraught. He was ripped up, torn up inside with grief. And he shared with Mr. MacArthur that day, he said this, he said, today, earlier today, I went to my priest. I went to the confessional. I told him some really terrible, rotten things that I had been doing because they had been eating up at me and I gushed them all out. And so the priest told me, go over and do 35 Hail Marys to the beads that are in your hand. And I'll never forget, MacArthur says, what the man said. He said, I took the beads. I went over, I knelt down at the altar. I did five Hail Marys and I picked those beads up and I screamed in the middle of the church and I threw them across the church and said, who am I kidding? He said, there's no forgiveness in these. I walked out of there. And later that day, somebody invited me to come here tonight. MacArthur continues to share. And the man asked, how can I be forgiven by God? On that night, MacArthur 
kneeled by this man and he shared with them that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. And Jesus is the only one who can cleanse you and forgive you. You can't do anything to earn forgiveness. There's no acts, there's nothing you can do to receive that forgiveness except believe in Christ alone. And that man prayed and accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior that night and he stood and he said to MacArthur, my heart's been cleansed. How can we be forgiven? How can we be cleansed? It's not by adding Hail Marys. It's not by adding good works. It's not by adding anything to the masterpiece of the cross where Jesus died. But it's by grace alone. By believing in Jesus alone. And then look again in verse 10 through 11. He says, now therefore, why do you put God to the test? Basically what Peter is saying here is why are you, why are you irritating God? Why are you provoking God? Place, and here, he says, by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. What Peter is saying is saying, listen, just as we're holding up this belief for the Gentiles, Peter's saying, I want you to know as a Jew that I also believe this, that it's not through circumcision, it's not through obeying the law of Moses anymore, but it's through grace alone in Jesus Christ. And Peter says, when we start to add something, what we do is this, and it made a comeback this week. You guys that have seen this before, I think we're just gonna bring it every week. But he says, when you do that, when you add stuff, you're going back into the yoke, right? You're going back into the yoke of slavery. And you're saying, oh, it's gotta be good works or I gotta do this thing today so I can earn the favor of God. What Peter says is you're going back to the yoke of slavery. How many of you guys like putting your head back in this thing of slavery, of being tied down to death and to sin? None of us like that. But Peter says that's what we do. In fact, listen to this. Paul says when we do that in Galatians 5, listen to what he says and we'll wrap up. He says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Freedom, meaning freedom from sin, freedom from the penalty of death, freedom from the power of the enemy that is over us. That's why we were set free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And Paul says, behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. What he's saying is if you believe in additives or some other qualifications for salvation, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And then look at verse three says, I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. If you believe in other qualifications, what Paul is saying, keep the whole law because that's what you gotta now live up to and you gotta be perfect in it. And guess what? Romans 3.23 says we all fall short of that and there's no way we can live up to that. And then look what Paul says in Galatians 
5, 4, you have been severed from Christ if you believe that way. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Grace alone, by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Peter takes the stand that day. He says, salvation Salvation is by grace alone, and the law or nothing else can save you. And then lastly, look at verse 12. It says this, with Paul and Barnabas, they begin to testify after Peter stand up, and listen to what they say. The people kept silent. They don't know what to say after Peter says this. And they were listening to Paul and Barnabas as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them, among the Gentiles. I love that. Because you don't see God coming around the false teachers. You don't see God coming around these who were saying you must do this, you must do that to be saved. And doing miracles. But with Paul and Barnabas, they were preaching and teaching that salvation came through grace alone, by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And what was happening around were miracles. Lives were being changed. People were being healed. And so what God was doing is he was showing that, hey, listen, I approve of this. This is of me. I'm at work in this. I'm doing this. And so he was attesting to what they were saying and saying, this is of God. God is saving the Gentiles by grace alone, through faith alone. And he will save Jew, and he will save every nation, every person of every walk and every different type. And he says there's no distinction in this world. It's all about believing in Christ. And so today, I want you to hear this. All of the world, all of us, we all have, number one, the same problem. We all do. We're all alike in this, that we all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the standard of God, of the glory of God. We all have. None of us in this room can say we haven't. The second thing is this. God's given us a provision for that problem. The Bible tells us this, that that we can be made right with God. Those who are sinners can be made right with a holy and just God through Jesus Christ alone. There is no other way. And then third, He's prescribed something. He tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, he says you will be saved. There is no other dot, dot, dot. Oh, by the way, you gotta do this and this and this and this. No, he says it's by faith alone. Faith alone. And so if you're here today and man, I, I don't know about you, but there's times in my life where I sit back and I think about the grace of God and I think, really? I don't have to bring anything to the table. God just accepts me as I am. He, He takes my junk. He takes my messes. He takes my mistakes. He takes that. And he freely says to me, you're my son. I don't know about you, but, but sometimes, let's be honest, it's, it's hard. We, we don't like to sometimes accept gifts. We feel like, well, I've got to do something. I've got to do something in return. Uh, I've got to do something to earn that. But God says, no, my grace is a gift. It is a gift. 
And so if you're here today, you've never received the gift of God's grace and trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to hear today, you don't need to add anything to the masterful piece, the masterpiece of the cross. You don't. It is enough. And God love you so much, he put his son on the cross to die for you. Yes, you. And you don't have to bring anything to the table. And you come and you surrender and you say, you know what, just like that guy that night in the church and say, I messed up. I don't know where else to get forgiveness, but I want forgiveness. And you come and you say, God, forgive me. I believe in Christ. I believe in what he did. I believe he took my place. That's where I'm stamping my claim for forgiveness. There's no other place. And you believe. You believe. And Christ cleanses your heart. It's a gift. Maybe you're here today and and you do believe that. You're like, yeah. I think the encouragement for the church today is to say, listen, we must have this unwillingness to yield. We must be unwilling to yield to what's being said in our day, the pressure of the day, because guys, more and more, the voice of our world, the voice of our culture, and especially in these United States, is this movement toward pluralism, this movement toward relativism. And there is no greater hour than this hour for the church to stand, just like Paul and Barnabas, just like Peter, and say, this is what I believe. It's fighting the good fight of faith. It's standing for the truth. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. The world needs to hear that. Let's pray.